Well, I am seriously excited today because um, I've just uh, been loving our new series that we've been delving into over the last few weeks. Um, So I'm going to be continuing sort of where we left off last week. We're thinking, aren't we, about uh, multiplying disciples. So lots of fun today. Um, And we've been looking at this call in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, to go and make disciples of all nations. Feels really appropriate especially for today and God is giving us a vision of what it means to be a disciple making church literally a church full of disciple makers and Rob said when he launched our series a few weeks ago if you want to know what the primary thing is that God wants for you what your purpose is it's this to make disciples who make disciples. And the Great Commission, as we often call Jesus' words in Matthew 28, wasn't only addressed to leaders or professionals or people who consider themselves evangelists. Actually, every Christian is called to be a disciple maker. And the brilliant news is we don't do this in isolation. In our teaching through the autumn term, we've looked at what it means to be family together, one of our cultural distinctives here at Jubilee. And this affects how we treat one another. And Simon and Becky gave us some such rich wisdom, didn't they, when they spoke to us about courageous pastoring. And and this affects how we look after each other. It's such an important aspect of pastoral discipleship. But as well as this, our discipleship must grow outside of the church. Jesus says, go and make disciples, not stay and make disciples. So the emphasis for this part of the series is on multiplying disciples. It's this missional discipleship being sent out to all the places that God puts us in individually rather than perhaps the more traditional focus of pastoral discipleship. So I'm going to continue from where Paul left off last week. Um, It was a great talk. If you haven't heard Paul's talk yet, do catch up on that. Um, And he spoke about how we make disciples simply by being a witness. And I love how he unraveled that for us. He said, well, what is a witness? Well, simply a witness is someone who tells of what they've seen and what they've experienced. And we can all do that. We're, we're all witnesses to the saving work of God in our lives, what he's done and how he's changed us. And God has been preparing us to do this, as Paul said last week, by allowing us to be in his presence week after week, getting filled up. So that we're built into his people who are going to go to all those places that he sent us and to be a witness. We all get to do this. I recently read the story of John Wimber, who many of you will know as a founding leader of the Vineyard Movement of Churches. And he was 29 when he and his wife accepted Christ at a home Bible study. And up until then, he'd had almost no exposure to the church or the Bible or other Christians. And so the man who led the Wimbers to Christ suggested that they go along to their local church. And so they did. 
And over the course of the next few weeks, John kind of observed and took everything in. And during this time, he also started reading the Bible. And he began to notice there was a real difference between the church he was attending and the Bible that he was reading every single day. He describes how the Bible to him seemed really normal, but the church seemed really weird. (laughs) And so finally, after weeks of reading a miraculous Bible where really ordinary people got to step out and see God move in the lives of people around them in miraculous ways, and then attending rather monotonous church services, he approached one of the leaders and he said, so when do we get to do the stuff? And the leader said, what stuff? And he said, you know, the stuff in the Bible, like you see Jesus doing the Gospels, you know, like healing the blind and the paralysed, raising the dead, that kind of stuff. And the man replied, well, we don't don't do that anymore. And so John said, well, what do you do? And the guy said, well, what we did this morning. To which John said, for that, I gave up drugs. Now, this early experience of the church really influenced John Wimber as he grew in his leadership and vision of what kind of people Jesus had called the church to be. Because, of course, we are the church. Jesus didn't call us to build the church. That's his job. He told us to be the church and go and make disciples of all nations. And the prophetic emphasis that God is underlining in this series is that it's not about us. It's about being full of the Holy Spirit and then just leaking out, simply directing others to Jesus. Wimber has famously said, we all get to play. And this is true for seeing God impact our lives. But I also believe it's about seeing God impact the lives of those around us too. Jesus' call to make disciples isn't for the special few. We all get to bear witness to what God has done in our lives. But just like the early disciples, we need to be filled up by him. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples to wait for his spirit and that when he comes, they will be witnesses. Basically, be filled up and then go and leak out. He says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see this empowering happen in the upper room, don't we? Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes and the disciples are propelled out. One minute locked in that upper room, the next sent out, filled with the power of the Spirit and seeing thousands saved. The Spirit came suddenly to breathe life into the infant church. He didn't come in response to long years of planning and programs. Rather, the power of God filled the room that day because God himself sent his Spirit. Right at the start of church history, we are taught that the church will be built by supernatural infilling and revelation, not cleverly devised human strategy. 
And Paul reminded us last week that God does not have a mission for the church. He has a church for his mission. It's God's mission. God's mission to redeem the earth could not have been thought up or carried out by the plans of people. And so we need the Holy Spirit's help for power, for revelation, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. I love the prophetic picture that Rob shared a couple of weeks ago of the river flowing out from God's temple that comes from Ezekiel chapter 47. And we explored, didn't we, how the river is a picture of God's glory, his manifest presence flowing out. And the water level is rising. There's this challenge to partner with the Father and what he wants to do, to go deeper. Because just like Ezekiel 47 shows us, the river gets deeper the further we go out from the temple. It's this picture of us moving forward, being sent out and directing people to Jesus as we follow him. We can't keep his glory to ourselves. It has to affect those outside the church, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues. Our community needs a touch of Jesus and his glory. God's river flows out to bring life to the dry places. And God's glory has to be seen. It can't be contained or hidden. And the amazing thing is that Jesus says we get to reveal his glory to others. He says we are to be like a city on a hill. And we find this picture in Matthew 5, verse 14. It'll come up, oh, here we go, on the screen. But I'd encourage you to turn to it and just keep this passage open because we're going to return to it later. I'm just going to read it to us. So Matthew 5, verse 14. So Jesus is speaking and he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I have family who live over in Aldridge near Walsall and I remember as a child being in the back of the car at night having been to some family gathering or another and travelling away from sort of quiet country roads and looking over the hills towards the bright lights of the centre of Birmingham as we approached. You really couldn't miss them. There was no doubt about where we were driving into. And that's what we're called to be like, according to this passage. We are the light of the world, Jesus says. If we know Jesus, the light has already been turned on. Like a city on a hill, we simply cannot be hidden. You are more of a blessing to the people around you who don't know Jesus than you realise. People watch us. If they know we're believers, they watch to see what that means, what that looks like and how it impacts the way that we live. And I really believe that missional discipleship begins with friendship. And this is what we're going to spend our time looking at for the rest of today. Because as we invite access into our lives, people see what it really looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And I want us to get practical today, to think about real people that we know, that perhaps we're already connecting with, as we seek to be a witness in all the places that we go day by day. 
And I want to share a tool. Um, some of you will have seen this before, but I think it's really helpful to revisit it. And, uh, and I found this really helpful as I uh, seek to partner with the Father, being filled with his spirit and directing others to Jesus. So I want to just pray before I show us the tool because um, I want him to help us. I want the Holy Spirit uh, to to bring people to mind um, and to help us in our thinking. So let's just pray for a moment. Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much that we're your children. We thank you that you've got plans and purposes for us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we're a people of your presence. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit again. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for the time in your presence this morning. And I pray you'd keep on filling us. Would you bring names and places to mind as we go through the rest of this morning? Would you release words of knowledge in our hearts that will unlock things for the people that we meet next week? I pray that you would be speaking to us. You'd help us to have one ear on you as we go through the rest of this morning. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Great. So if we could just go back to the the little diagram. So this is the disciple makers tool. And I'm going to walk us through each of the four stages. And there's a question in the middle. What next? And this is really key as we go around all the stages because it keeps us from just using this as a formula. We don't want to be doing that. Uh, It reminds us that at each point we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and ask him what next as we go into the world, into all the places that he sent us, as we connect and chat to people. What's next for this person that I've connected with? What do you want to say to them through me? What do you want to do in their life, Lord? What next? So we're going to keep coming back to that question. And the first part of the journey in the top right there is connecting. And the key for this point in the journey is moving from connecting to a few people to connecting with many. Now, for me, being honest, this has been a real mindset change. Now, I do believe that it's right that we have some Christian friendships that we particularly prioritise because we've journeyed together and gone deep. But I think historically, I have applied this principle when connecting with unbelievers. I think I felt it was better to invest in a small handful of people that I felt I had capacity to share life with and hope that just whenever I spent time with them, somehow things would take a kind of spiritual route and I'd get to talk about Jesus. But what I'm learning to do is look for opportunities to connect with anyone that God puts across my path on any given day and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I've confessed before how naturally I am someone who is far more likely to go and use the self-service checkout at the supermarket rather than interact with a human being when I'm in task mode. But now I see this as an opportunity to intentionally connect with people who don't know Jesus yet. And I think the supermarket is a great place to start because it has very limited risk factor because A, the cashiers can't really move away from you. <laughs> and, and B, you don't really have to see them again. So if it goes wrong, you can just go to the next one next week. 
And, and as you go to all the places in your week, look for people who you could describe as having a passing relationship with. There might be people that you only see once or twice, but you find yourself getting into conversation with them. These are great opportunities to practice discipling unbelievers. And it's in these passing relationships that we look for God to turn the conversation, to consider how the Father could use us to plant a seed of encouragement or to make someone think. In there's a table next to us, just struck up a conversation. And he basically talked non-stop for about half an hour about his day and some really quite personal details. And to be honest, it was quite difficult to get a word in edgeways. But towards the end of the conversation, he started talking about his Catholic upbringing. And at one point, I was able to ask him what that meant to him now. And we ended up briefly talking about heaven. Now, I didn't pray for this guy. I didn't get the chance to explicitly talk about Jesus. But as I talked to God about it afterwards, I felt him remind me how people just want to be listened to. And that's a great place to start. Who does the Father want to highlight to you as you go about your everyday life? Take notice if you see a person more than once in a short space of time. Or if there's somebody you're particularly drawn to. Or if they're drawn to you, as was the case with Rich and I. Or if they remind you of someone, sometimes that can unlock a word of knowledge that God might be prompting you to share. I've been learning to ask the question, where is Jesus in the room? And this helps me to tune into his spirit and see who he might be leading me to connect with. I'd encourage you to try it out. So you could ask Jesus, where are you standing in my street? This could be the home of the person ripe for salvation. Or where are you standing in my office? This could be an open door for breakthrough, for a healing or a miracle. Jesus said about himself in John 5 that he only does what he sees his father doing. And I want to be standing where Jesus is standing. So as we start connecting to people and at the same time asking the Holy Spirit the what next question, God may reveal something to us that he wants us to share with that person. Whenever we connect with unbelievers, it's an opportunity to practice our prophetic muscle. We were talking about this at Life Group this week and how actually if we get it wrong, it doesn't matter. Unbelievers won't be expecting God to speak to them. But if we share something that God has revealed to us and it does resonate with them, that can be incredibly powerful. The river gets deeper the further out we go. Remember, we don't need all the answers. We don't need to be theologically trained. We just need to know Jesus and leak out the Holy Spirit as we chat and connect to people. And this is where stage two comes in, chatting. As we connect with people by being friendly and open, it's fun to see what God does with that. 
the key is looking to see if there's an opportunity to move kind of natural conversation to more spiritual conversation. Now, this isn't a heavy thing. We don't have to force conversation down a particular route. But as you connect with someone that you might have a passing relationship with, just be open and see where God takes it. Ask questions that release people to share. All the time, listening to the Holy Spirit, asking, what next, Lord? And over time, these passing relationships may grow into developing friendships. For example, with a neighbour or a work colleague or somebody that you bump into on a number of occasions. As we build friendships with people, they get to see firsthand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I love our Jubilee cultural distinctives. And I don't know about you, but I find myself kind of covertly taking them into every area of life. So when I'm leading a team meeting at work or when I'm chatting with my friend on the phone, I'm prioritising things like being authentic and looking for ways I can honour others and see people from a family perspective. Even in the really little things, we get to demonstrate this kingdom culture, like making sure we greet people as we enter work or replacing the toilet roll when nobody else does. You know, these things, they're really normal, but it's amazing how people notice them. What it can be normal for us actually can be quite countercultural in our busy individualistic world. And being authentic with people we are developing friendships with is about giving them access to our life simply by chatting and letting them see the real us. I love what Christopher Wright says, invisibility is not much help in mission. Being authentic with others is vulnerable. It can feel risky. There's a risk of rejection or even ridicule. But if our lives confirm the message we carry, we must be open to be seen. Remember the picture of the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus emphasises the point further in John 5.15. So if you've got your Bibles open, just pick up the next verse. Jesus says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are light to those around us and light is meant to be visible. You don't hide it under a bowl. You put it on a stand for all to see. And we get to be light because Jesus is the light of the world. He has illuminated us. So we shine with his reflected light. We shine because we're lit up by him. So we want people to see our good deeds and praise not us, but our Father in heaven, who is the source of the light they see reflected. How can they do that if, we, if they don't know that we're Christians? So as well as being open to be seen by being real and authentic with those who watch us, we must also be open to comparison. 
Our lives will invite comparison. They can't help but not. When we talk about decisions we make or where our source of peace or security comes from. And we are called to shine so as to make those around us curious about the God we worship and the lives that we live People will only be interested in our claims about God when they see the visible evidence of our own life transformed. And people see this as we chat to them. This is how we witness to what Jesus has done for us and how he's changed us. Paul said last week, people can't argue with your story, but they might want to know more. And so our lives must be open to challenge. As I've been preparing for today, I've been challenged to think about whether my life makes the people around me curious. So let me ask you, what kinds of questions do you think people are asking as they watch your life? Why doesn't she join in with the office gossip? Why don't I hear him swear? Why does he work so diligently even when the boss is out? People are drawn to light and we are like a city on a hill, open to be seen, open to comparison and open to challenge. Be open to see what God does with these relationships. We don't have to force anything but by being open to be seen by others and open to what the Holy Spirit might want to do, God may open up opportunities to draw others to himself through the light that he has placed in each one of us. And this leads to stage three, inviting. And the key part for this, of this part of the journey is moving from social contact to spiritual journey. I love how Jesus is brilliant at creating a discipleship culture where there is invitation. He says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, or let the little children come to me. Or I love what he says to Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. To his first disciples, Simon, Peter and Andrew, he says, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And when we follow the example of Jesus and give invitation to someone, we are inviting them firstly to social contact with us beyond just the odd conversation. And the aim then is to help this person move from just social contact to an invitation into their own spiritual journey. All the time asking the Holy Spirit, what's next? What's next for this person? And the focus for this part of the journey is connecting the person to other believers. A really easy way of doing this is inviting people into your home. Inviting someone round for a meal to see what normal life looks like. It's a great way for people to start asking questions about our God. As we invite access to our lives, people see what it really looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. My friend Kate told me this week how she had one of the school mums round. And as they were chatting, she noticed Kate's wedding photo on the wall. 
And as they talked, it became apparent that Kate and Tom had been married for a long time. They'd married quite young. And the lady just wanted to know more. And Kate, through this, was able to communicate something of the culture and the value of her family just through chatting about a photo. She wouldn't have seen that photo unless Kate had invited her round. The lady was curious. She wanted to know something of Kate's story. And the key thing here is to consider the things that you already do. This is not about squeezing more into our week, but looking at the things you like doing and asking God, is there anyone I can invite along? What is it that brings me life and who do I want to join me? And I love how there are loads of examples already of areas of church life where this happens and conversations with people easily move from invitation to regular contact. One of these opportunities is the creative studio. Bernice has worked really hard to provide a space for people to come along and experience something of our Jubilee culture as they explore various expressions of creativity, whether that be mixed media or photography or just coming along and having a play with some of the materials. And over time, Bernice has been chatting to people that she's just built up relationship and friendship with, such as her hairdresser, and has just simply told them what she's been doing. I'm setting up this studio. And then she's invited them along. When the studio was first being set up, Esther felt like it would be a back door into Jubilee, a way to connect people to other Christians and experience the love of God through conversation, acceptance and community. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening here. Bernice's friend has been coming along to the photography group and recently came to one of the Monday night sessions and she invited two other people. It's great. Another great example is Jubilee Toddlers. Now, I have it on good authority from someone who isn't currently part of Jubilee that it is the best toddler group in Solihull. And you don't have to be around Alison or any of her team for very long before you hear some awesome stories about what God is doing in the lives of the people who come along. And there are examples of new opportunities for invitation opening up. Fee is starting up a group in the studio for those who like to knit or crochet or sew. If that's you, who else could you invite along? Rich is launching Jubilee football tomorrow night. Again, another perfect opportunity to invite friends along to something you enjoy. These are all great ways to invite those that we've connected with and chatted to and then connect them to other believers. And this is where our Jubilee cultural value of family comes in again. When we invite people to connect with us, we get to demonstrate family. And if we're learning to do family well as a church community, then we won't just see new people as the responsibility of those who brought them along, but look to connect with them ourselves. And as we invite people we are building friendships with into social contact, we may find God drawing that person to himself. As we partner with the Holy Spirit and ask him what next, we can then move from social contact to an invitation into the individual's own spiritual journey.
I'm excited about our Jubilee Alpha course that's starting in January. And Paul has encouraged us to think about who we could consider inviting along. Is there anyone that we're already journeying with? Connecting, chatting, inviting into social contact, who might be open to an invitation into spiritual contact? Discipleship begins and ends with friendship. We don't want to be making converts without making disciples fully trained and equipped in all that Jesus taught. We are inviting a person to turn to a lifetime of following God, not just pray a prayer. And so as the Holy Spirit brings revelation and the person responds to Christ, it is out of friendship that we are well placed to train and equip the new disciple in becoming a disciple maker themselves. And this is where the fourth and final stage comes in, multiplying. And the key part for this bit of the journey is moving from disciples to disciple making. You can see the pattern. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to multiply, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey. Multiplication is a kingdom principle. In Matthew 13, Jesus likens the message of the kingdom to a little seed, which has life within itself. When the seed is sown and it falls on good soil, soil that has been prepared to receive the message of the king in the kingdom, it grows and multiplies. Verse 23 says, The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a 100, 60 or 30 times what was sown. The journey doesn't stop when a person becomes a disciple. It's a cycle that starts again. And when the people that we have built friendships with become Christians, they have the seed of multiplication in them because that's what we've modelled to them. They become disciples who make disciples. We don't need to graduate to be able to make disciples. We just need to be one step ahead. We only need to know one more story about Jesus than the people we're discipling. And this is true for them too. So we can commission them as we share. Who needs to hear this story about Jesus? So as we close, let me ask you, is there someone who's come to mind as we've looked at this tool? What part of the cycle has God been particularly highlighting to you? Is it the connecting with lots of people to see where God might take that? Is it the chatting? Maybe there's somebody that you're building friendship with at work, for example, and that person has noticed how you conduct yourself and you could see where conversation with that leads. Is there anyone God has put on your heart to extend an invitation to join you doing something that brings you life? Is there a challenge to take that further and invite them into their own spiritual journey? Wherever we are in the cycle, 
There is freedom in this. It's meant to be fun. Remember, we all get to play. Jesus' call to make disciples is not for the special few. We all get to be a witness. We can all be filled up by the Holy Spirit and then go and just leak out. We all get to let our light shine before people so that they see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So where can you step out deeper this week? Who could you intentionally connect with? Who needs to hear a story about Jesus? Remember, success in the kingdom of God is not related to outcome, but to obedience. We are to be a witness to what Jesus has done and how he's changed us. What happens next is up to him. We're not in the business of intellectually convincing people about the truth of Jesus, but blessing others as we connect with them so that they get to experience the kingdom of heaven and turn to a lifetime of following God. So I'd love to end by praying for us. Shall we stand together? Just keep those questions in your mind just as we turn our attention wholly on our Father. I just feel like um, that God just wants to really emphasise that there's freedom in this, that we all just get to go into all the places that he has sent us, our day-to-day, ordinary lives. And we get to be ourselves. There's freedom for us to just be who we are and to say, Holy Spirit, help us. And so, Father, I pray that you would release freedom all across this room now, that you would release freedom to our hearts to know that our value is not based on what we do, but on who we are as your children, stepping out, stepping into your river, full of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love it when we have a go. Thank you that you love it when we step out and we say, Jesus, I can't do this, but you can. And so, Holy Spirit, as we just look towards another week, On the one hand, it can look very ordinary, but I thank you that with you, it can be extraordinary. I pray that you would give us revelation, you would open our eyes, and as we go about our day-to-day life, you would highlight those people that you want us to connect with, that you would release words of knowledge in our hearts that we can share with people to unlock conversation that you would help us as we live authentically before others and seek to demonstrate your kingdom culture and that we would respond when people ask questions about why we are like the way we are like and that in all of that, Lord Jesus, we would always point back to you, that you would give us courage, that you would give us boldness and that we'd have loads of fun doing it partnering with you Holy Spirit so Holy Spirit would you just come and fill us afresh we say we need you so much 
We don't want to go off piste and go off on our own agenda. We want to go where you're going, Jesus. So send your spirit afresh. Fill us up. Give us courage. And as we have spent time in your presence today, help us to take that out to all of the places that you would have us go. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.